welcome back. I'm here today with Wally Holly. Wally, welcome to today's show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Wally, we've enjoyed a friendship for several years, but uh, I like for for the listeners. I, your early your early career was in one of the the first venture capitalists here in the valley, and. Uh, you know, uh, could you spend a few few minutes going through your background of uh, you know your your life timeline? Yeah, uh, ed, when you got to talk about education at my age, it's, I don't know why, but I went to Stanford and Harvard Business School, joined McKinsey, worked with them, and went over to Holland for four years to help build their operations there. And while there, I met a very wealthy Dutch family working for them as a consultant. And when I came back here, they hired me to be their U.S. president at the ripe old age of 32. Uh, I worked with them, and we started a venture firm for them in addition to making acquisitions. And uh, that's how I really got involved in venture capital, uh, was running a fund for them. And then in about 1979, or it was a little bit later, I realized that venture capital was going to really take off. I had no idea how much, but I knew it was going to take off. So I said to my partner who was working with me, we should form our own fund, which we did. So we formed a fund, and at that time there were very few funds. It was a club, uh, and we built it, and uh, it was InterWest Partners, still exists today, going strong. Uh, after many years, I decided that I didn't want to manage anything or be involved in running other people's money. So I stepped out and began investing as an angel investor on my own. And parallel to that, as you know, I uh, worked on charitable things uh, because I had an interest in wanting to help others and not just helping myself. And so that's kind of where we are today. I'm on nine boards, about half of them nonprofit, half of them for-profit. Yeah, I'd like to spend a few uh, few minutes here in that, that shift of what inspired you to shift out of that venture capitalist more into, a, I'll call it the philanthropic role. Well, it was a couple of things. First of all, I began to think about it really should be about others, it shouldn't be about me. And when it becomes being about others, well, you just don't do it to make more money for yourselves or whatever. But a parallel to that, I read Bob Buford's halftime book. And I read that, and Bob had shifted from a businessman situation into a strong Christian organization. And I had become a Christian. I got to know Bob, went on his board, and that book helped me to say, wait a minute, I think I need to make a transition in my life. So I began to do more in the nonprofit and charitable stuff, and ultimately then just stepped out of my firm, and so I do a mix now. So when uh, when, when you spend your time on the, the mix, I guess, uh, what what's your biggest driver satisfaction out of? Uh, well, there's a common denominator in, in all of them, and that is that each one that I'm involved in is run and managed by an outstanding person. So I have no problem children. Uh, no difficulties, uh, and really, you're just there applauding these other people, and if you look at the things I'm doing, it's not about me, it's not about my name, it's about the people I'm helping and showing the success of what they've been able to do, and if I've enlarged that success by helping them, it makes me feel great. You know, Wally, as I listen to you, it reminds me of the interview I had with uh, Ken Blanchard. 
and uh, the the author, the One Minute Manager, mm-hmm. and some I know Ken. Okay, so so one of the things that he he talks about is he's gone through life. Uh, when he hands out a business card, he hands out chief leader servant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and and when you're with organizations, you, you obviously could take a lot of the accolades from your academic background. I'm a Harvard MBA, work with Stanford, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, but what you've learned seems to be it's not about who I am, but the role I play with others. Is that? Very much other people. In fact, in my office now, when I'm having a lot of meetings, oftentimes, Alan, it's with an individual who isn't part of any of these particular organizations, but I'm just helping him with his or her life direction and mentoring. And so a lot of that isn't even part of an official board of directors or anything. And I just get great satisfaction of watching somebody succeed and do extremely well. And, uh, you know, what it's about. It's about others. And that's, when I became a Christian, I changed from it being about me to it being about others. I'm visiting here today with Wally Holly. He is a successful venture capitalist in an earlier career, then uh, turned over to philanthropist midway through life. And, uh, and Wally, I need to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after these messages. I love fishing, you know, with my family. I think it would be easier to use a net. It was so much fun. The times when we are together, it makes it all all the more worth it. Having Dad teach them how to like cast a fly rod. and As long as we're doing stuff together, we're having fun. Some people see a father and a son fishing together, while others see a succession plan. Welcome back. I'm visiting here today with Wally Holly, and uh, we've been talking about your timeline, early venture capitalist here in Silicon Valley, and uh, midpoint of your life, uh, you, you jumped over to work with philanthropy and uh, serving on others, and uh, still active on some boards, but what, what are you working on now? What are some of the projects in front of you? Well, they come from a common denominator that goes back to, I was a very close friend with Walt Gerber, who was a major uh, pastor at Menlo Church. And I said to Walt, I think I want to be doing something different. And I said, I hope God will open a door for me. And Walt said, he won't. And I thought, uh-oh. And he said, you're a portfolio guy. He'll open a bunch of doors. So it proceeded from there. Now, what are the doors that are open right now? Uh, I'm involved in two major projects for Fuller Seminary. Uh, I'm on their Family Youth Institute board. And the first project is called Sticky Faith. And Sticky Faith involves kids who have been in church youth groups and go off to college. And as you and I both know, many times the faith just is lost or disappeared. So the whole objective there is to make the faith sticky when they go to college. So they start groups on college where they've got a whole series of universities where they're having a Sticky Faith club And in fact, the woman who runs it is just outstanding, a good example of what we talked about before. And for example, recently she just spoke to 13,000 people in Germany on Sticky Face. So this thing is just taking off like crazy. And I'm really enjoying that. And she's doing a thing on a book, uh, what's going on on that. And it's just, it's very gratifying, very helpful. Uh, And then I'm also working uh, with another project on that same thing called Growing Young. 
And growing young is involved with the situation where church demographics, if you look at them in general, are getting older and older. So the whole idea is how do you get younger members to be in the church and active to the church? So they are now coming out with a project and a book on growing young, on what you should do as a church to try and capture more young people. So that's the second Fuller group that I'm working on. and very. Then I'm working with a fellow named Reggie McNeil, who's written a lot of books, a strong Christian, very well known. And he is working on city projects where we'll go into a city. And while it's Christian-based, nevertheless, we're trying to find out what the cities want and need, and they determine it. Oftentimes, it's literacy. And then we help them work with that particular project to build it in their city. And Reggie has just done a, a great deal of work. He's very successful. And I have to laugh because in one of his latest books, he dedicated to me. Uh, and uh, his whole idea was, here's a guy who is uh, mission-oriented. Uh, so that's another one I'm working on. Young Life. I was on the board and was chairman of the board of Young Life. I'm not on that, but I'm on a sub-board that I helped create, uh, which is a Hispanic initiative. If you look at the demographics in our country, you'll see that the Hispanics are growing enormously. So based on that, we have a separate board because if you look at the different ethical groups, eth pardon me, ethnic groups, you'll see that you know they aren't the same in terms of their cultures. So we are capturing for Young Life a whole Hispanic population, uh, which is very large. So that's another one I'm working on. And then I'm still on a couple of Stanford boards and active with them. Uh, and so, you know, I get up in the morning, I got a lot of directions I could go. You know, it, 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 as you're looking back to these younger generation, it must be fulfilling to see that you're making a difference in their life. Uh, mm -hmm. Seems like today in society, the the next generation, it's on a uh, tr trying to hold faith in their life is is more difficult. It is, it is, uh, and this is why, if we can do things like sticky faith or growing young, we can keep these people in the church, active with their faith and not losing it, because so many of the institutions they're going to, Alan, are just out and out secular, and so you have to find a way to get around that and put them in touch with people, mostly adults like myself, who can help them to retain it. And uh, that's where we win or lose is the next generation. I'm visiting here today with Wally Holly. And Wally, I need to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back after these messages. can't take your wealth with you, spend time with your family. Welcome back. I'm visiting here today with Wally Holly, one of the early venture capitalists here in Silicon Valley, launched a firm in West in that uh, about midlife in the 50s, you decided to retire and and become do philanthropy more service oriented uh, 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 
causes. But Wally, as we, we've talked in the last segment about all the causes, and a lot of them focused back on the youth. And do you view yourself as being retired? Absolutely not. Okay. I use the term redeployed. Okay. So you can retire from your firm, which I did, but that's not the same as retiring. Retiring for many people has an image of you're playing golf and watching TV and just hanging out. For me, you can be just as active and you don't have to be part of an organization or whatever. So I'm redeployed. That's why the nine boards, you aren't retired if you're on nine boards. Uh, so what it is, is it's really just a series of things that I'm working on rather than one thing within a corporation. So Alan, I am not retired. I am redeployed. Was it difficult making the transition? I know some people are looking at the word retirement, um, thinking in terms of, will I have enough? And, you know, uh, this thing about the golf and the, you know, the, the, the lifestyle. But when you look back at the decisions that you made, now with a full 2020 vision, were you immediately where you wanted to be or did this kind of evolve? Well, it evolved because starting to do things other than just being ahead of my firm involved some other things like getting involved in young life and some other things. So I would call it a more of a gradual transition than something where you give the keys back and don't come in on Monday. So really, I was transitioning in part into nonprofit and charitable things, even while I was still at InterWest. Uh, and the more I did that, the more I realized that this had much greater satisfaction than just, just doing another deal. We went through a number of projects that you're involved with, with Young Life and Sticky Faith and Growing Young. What moved you into the projects? In other words, why did you say, you know, I'm going to spend time in young life. Or, I mean, there are so many causes out there today. And, you know, uh, what helped you focus on getting involved in different causes? Well, I think God was at work here because if you see many of these things, it is a continuum from one to another with another door opening. And so, for example, I started with Young Life when someone put me in touch with them and got involved and saw what was going on, went on a regional board, and it just went from there, ultimately to becoming the chairman of the whole thing. But through that, I then was introduced down at Fuller Seminary, who told me about Reggie McNeil. So I didn't have an objective to go out and find a Reggie McNeil, but Reggie McNeil was there, and I saw him, got to know him, and began to work and work with him closely. Reggie was part of Fuller. So here comes the Fuller, Sticky Faith, and other things. So this has been a series of just meeting people who know that I'm available. Uh, and I'm not saying, all right, I have to find another thing, or this is a specific things. And I come back to my point earlier that it's people and great leaders. And so I'm looking for someone who is a great leader. Uh, sometimes it's Christian-oriented, sometimes it isn't. Uh, and I want to work with that person. So I could almost track back on each one of these that it was a continuum of something that I had started earlier. When, when you move into the organizations, and it would be very easy for you with all your accolades, credential of Harvard MBA, Stanford educated, and you know started a number of successful companies to say, well, 
you know, I'm, a, I'm in charge now. Uh, but you don't. And when you look at the leadership and how you influence people, what are some of the, the most important attributes that you find that people will respond to in giving you the respect or, you know, the... Well, first, let me correct you. When you're 78 years old, if you have to go back and tell people where you went to school, you have a problem, Alan. So <laughs> let's just leave. The schools happened so long ago, I'm not even sure I can find them, okay? Actually, what's happening here is you are being available to serve other people. And I'm not in charge. I'm a helper. I'm an advisor. So really, the in-charge part of it is the head of the group that I'm working with. And that's very clear. I am not telling these people what to do. I am working with them to find out where they can use me, and I will be helpful in that regard. But there is not such a thing as Wally being in charge. There is not such a thing as Wally having his name on a building. I have helped finance professors, but it's them. It's not me. How important is honesty in business and dealing with others? Well, if you don't have it, basically I don't think you have anything. It's a matter of trust. And if you're working with someone, and as long as you have the trust and they have the trust in you, it's all important. And in fact, if you begin to lose it, and over my career I obviously have gotten involved in situations where I've seen leaders who start to do things that I'm not very happy with, and at that point, I'm out of there. There's no reason to tolerate anything other than someone who you feel you can trust what they say, their word, and what they're going to do. So it's all important, Alan. Um, what role does respect play in business? Well, it's partially intertwined with the earlier question. You do have respect if you have someone you can trust and has the integrity. The other part of respect is that you honor and, and are, are awed in some cases by what these people can do and their capabilities and their missions. And so a lot of respect comes from what is your mission and what is their mission. And as long as they're in tune or you can agree with the mission or they can agree with your mission, uh, that's when respect happens. So Wally, final question. What advice do you have for the younger generation today? Well, it sure helps if you uh, are involved in faith. doesn't matter what denomination. I didn't become a Christian until I was 40. Wish I'd become earlier, but better late than never. So I would hope that they would have faith to start with. Beyond that, the advice is take advantage in a good way of the talents and capabilities that other people have that you can work together collegially. So uh, I think you have to make sure it's not about yourself. I come back, to it's about others. And so you work in a team environment. It can be different teams, as I do. Uh, but, you know, I just get great joy in watching other people succeed. I want to spend a few moments on uh, leadership attributes. And when you hear the word integrity, what do you think of? Well, integrity and honesty are sort of the same thing. But if a person is described as a man of integrity, it means you can trust what he says, what he does. And so you'll find people that when they say he's a man of integrity, people say, 
I know that I can use anything he says in a good way. And so they're really trying to help you. And I think part of that integrity is caring about others. How do leaders gain respect of their employees? Well, they demonstrate whether they really care about the person or not. And many of the leaders spend time mentoring people. And the good leaders will take the time with younger people and newer people to help them, uh, whereas some of the other kinds of leaders that are more about themselves are just interested in getting publicity or getting other kudos and not caring about, well, what's happening to my organization? People in the organization know whether you really care about them or not. And those are the popular leaders. And it comes across when people talk about a leader, they talk about how good he is, how they like him, how they respect him. Uh, and that's what really good leadership is, in my opinion. Why is service important in today's world? Well, Lord knows we got enough problems in the world today, so making it about yourself doesn't really uh, cut it. And I think the problem is that you have dividing maybe two types of people, if you want to take the extremes. Those that are about themselves, they're acquiring assets, they're acquiring wealth, and those who really want to see that our society is better. And I think there's plenty of places that we can help make society better. And there's so many ways you can serve, uh, whether it be in a religious setting or whether an educational setting or a business setting. Uh, and as I've said before, the satisfaction of serving rather than acquiring is very satisfying. What is the most important aspect of leadership to you? Setting an example for other people. When people look at you and they say, all right, I see what he does or what he says, and I respect that and I like that. Uh, and that's what leadership is really all about. Well, I appreciate being on today's show. Thank you, Alan. Nice to be here.